Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to this edition of Voices from the Archives. I'm Morris O'Keefe. While I was working on a special collection for Irish life and lore titled A Century of Change, and under the category of business, I came across Paddy Hayes. He was born in Cork City in 1931, and he later qualified out of UCC with a civil engineering degree. Paddy then went to Dublin for his first job working with Dublin Corporation. Some years later, he became managing director of Ford Factory in Cork and witnessed the closing of that factory. Then he was headhunted for Waterford Crystal. Paddy's story is fascinating and I recorded him at great length. This is part of his story and it starts when he first went to Dublin. I went to Dublin Corporation for the first proper job as a junior engineer. We were out in um, Ballyfermot. Uh, very interesting in view of what's going on nowadays with housing. Ballyfermot was bought by the Dublin Corporation, huge area, and the Dublin Corporation engineers, assisted by a junior fellow like me, put in the roads, sewerage and water mains, and then built the houses in other words, the state did it. Yes. The state did it. They can't do it now. Proper planning in those days go into to oh, yeah. providing the, the necessary... Um, well, the necessary things, things were roads, sewers and water mains. Okay. And uh, so, but for a young lad to take on that, I mean, that was great training. And well, great. It was great training, but I left after six or eight months. Uh, and I got a job, resident engineer in um, Clock Jordan first, putting in sewerage, and then Thurless. Hmm. And then I got engaged, and I was very anxious to get back to Cork. Blah 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 blah. Yes. And I got a job in Ford. Yeah. You married a, a Cork lady. Yeah, um, Betty. Yeah. What was Betty's? Maiden? Betty King. Betty King. Yeah. Was she from the city? She was from the Black Rock Road. 
She's a product of a mixed marriage, so okay, I, I know all about that. Oh, yes, yeah. Protestant and Catholic. Yeah. The, the usual thing that happened, that nobody went to the wedding, only one person from both sides. That's, that's Betty's parents now, you know? Yes. But everybody was reconciled, and within four or five years... Imagine. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you got married and you settled in Cork, yeah. uh, can you recall the first, you know, that, that you had to go for an interview uh, in Fords. Yeah. Uh, do you record that time? I recall it. I recall the fact that I was promised uh, a monthly uh, wage that I didn't get when I joined. That's the thing I remember mostly about it. <laughs> What position did you you went in as? I went in as an engineer in the drawing office, backing up. Nothing to do with making cars. Uh, advising dealers about expansion, what they were all doing expansion at the time, yeah. and doing the, the uh, engineering works in the factory itself. What was it like, Paddy? Could you describe what? what well, the, the, the thing that was was amazing that. Um, When I was in Thurlis and Clark Jordan and these places, we were very superior people. We started at 9.30. And when I was in Thurlis, half past 11, you went for the local coffee shop and met the doctor and the county manager and the county and and then go back to work. And then you got paid on the following Thursday and you took the afternoon off to get paid. Same in Dublin Corporation, you had to stop work on Thursday and go into the City Hall and get paid. Uh, and then I went to Ford and the discipline was extraordinarily different. You started at 8 in the morning and really you weren't allowed out of the factory unless you got a written notice, which was great. Great. Yes. Great. So you liked that organised yeah, discipline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and all the people who qualified engineering with me thought I was mad yeah. to be to be submitting myself to such discipline, I and see. they were starting at half past nine and ten. Yeah, mm. and so, but you you were uh, even at that stage you were, you could understand the importance of structure proper. Oh yeah. Organism. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, pl- the plant itself—it was a huge employer here. Was well, yeah. Well, the well, 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 forty years before, it was a bigger employer because it made made the product from the ground up. There was a foundry there, and mm-hmm. uh, it was an extraordinary thing. Looking backwards, uh, nineteen seventeen, what the. There were 8,000 people there one time at the beginning. Yeah. When I was there, we had 800, 800 or 900. Uh, we were assembling cars, and that was great. We made 80 a day. Okay. What was the model that you were producing? We were producing Escorts and Cortinas, and people wouldn't realize that we were doing vans and trucks too. We were doing American trucks and British trucks. It was an extraordinary place, an extraordinary place. And just talk me through those years then. The, the, um, the, the discipline and the, and, the, and the things that you were tested with 
was great. They, we, we put on a second shift at night. We needn't go into the reason for it. Mm. Uh, but then I was taken out of the drawing office and put in charge of the trim and final assembly with very dominant trade union people there uh, at, on the night shift. And that was a test. I was in charge of maybe 18 or 90 men on the night shift with no experience doing it. And it was, that was rough and it was great. Okay. Rough and great. <laughs> you seem to have enjoyed the uh, those years. So, did you find that um, uh, the, the the trade unions were slowing down progress? No, no. But they were looking after their they were looking after their jobs and looking after the jobs that might come to their sons and daughters, and you couldn't blame them. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was a tradition then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There were lots of people, there were lots of people, um, father and son there. Yeah. And And, uh, another thing I should mention, there were people working on the line that I'd been in school with in the model school. (laughs) And we had great fun. Mm. Mm. Who were you answerable to in those days? I was answerable to the the, uh, production manager and through him, to the works manager and through the works manager to the managing director I was five or six yeah. layers down. And do you recall any of their names? Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Gus Crotty was the production manager. Uh, Bill O'Connell was the engineer in charge of the whole place. Ford thought they should have an engineer. Yeah. All the plants in the world in charge of the plant. Yeah. And Bill O'Connell was there. He was a Kerry man. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he, there were the two main people in the factory. Okay. And uh, relations were good, were they? At, they at were. They were good. Uh, we used to have a, uh, a, a labor relations uh, claim because there was a lot of. Um, the, the country was riven with inflation. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember 21% inflation later on in the, that time. And there were always claims for an increase in, uh, in, in wages, you know. Yeah. And, and so uh, things were progressing. People needed more money, I yeah. suppose. And, and yeah. uh, what was the reason why it started to go down? It didn't start to go down. It went down suddenly. You know the 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 Anglo-Irish Free Trade Agreement, blah 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 yes, blah blah yes. blah. It made uh, the, 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 it made, and 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 um, Paddy Hillary going to the European Union and negotiating thing that uh, the all barriers would come down. Reminds me of what's happening now between Britain and Europe. All barriers would come down. But the barriers protecting the motor industry wouldn't go down for to be maintained long term. And everybody said, what does long term mean? 20 years. And that was 64. Everybody knew that there were no artificial 
anti-competitive thing possible after 1984. It didn't go down at all. It went away suddenly in 84. Okay. Didn't go down. And did you, were you there to see it? I was the fellow who had to make the announcement to How the 80, to 800 people. Okay, at that time you were promoted to, you were managing director. Yeah, yeah. And so that was a very responsible position and, you know, to, to take that on. Mm. How did you well, feel then? About well, well I, had, uh, I had progressed all, the, we, we skipped a huge jump there now, you no, know. No, okay, let's it go back to huge, that. Yeah. yeah, sorry, no, um, continue. So what what happened after you were there I, as I was, an engineer? I was, yeah, and I got promoted to a, I was got promoted to a, to a foreman. It was great training, you know. There was yeah. no sudden jump to a, a, a free car and things like that. <clears throat> I made a foreman, production superintendent, production manager, and works manager when the Bill O'Connell retired. Okay. Was there a, a close eye by the Ford in America? Yeah, there was, yes, yeah. Through Ford of Europe came in, I don't know what the year the year was. Ford of Europe, Ford in America decided that they wouldn't have individual uh, Ford of Britain, Ford of Germany, Ford of everything. They made four of Europe, just the same as the European Union now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and all 26 of us um, met every three months in some place in Europe uh, when I was managing director. Uh, I've jumped again now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I became managing director when the, yeah. uh, the man was about to retire. And that was unusual because... It was not traditional in Ford to become managing director of a company, of a country, coming up the production area to nearly all the sales and finance. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you took a, the working groups surprise, up yeah. along. I was yeah. a surprise, yeah. yeah. Managing people was, did you... Well, to see, if you, if, you, if you... I was thinking about her recently... If you put if you put if you were put on the night shift without any experience in, experience of managing unionized workers, you learn an awful lot very quickly. Okay, hmm. so it's something you don't learn out of a book. No, <laughs> no. no, yeah. But I was helped, I suppose, by the fact that I knew a lot of them. Yeah. Hmm. And so you were working your way up, and yeah. and uh, but there were good times. Great times, great times in Cork. Yeah. It was yeah. a place to work. Yeah, it's extraordinary that you you have the idea in your head. There must be other people too. That Ford slowed down gradually. No, just went like that. Yeah. So, as what year did you reach the top uh, as managing director? Seventy one, seventy one. I was, I was assistant managing director. I think when I was thirty eight. Yeah. And I was managing director when I just turned forty. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
And so again, you spoke about having to make that announcement. Yeah. How, how difficult was that? The, 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 the difficulty, we were determined that the government wouldn't know first and the trade unions wouldn't know first, but that the people in the factory would know first. And that was very difficult to do because I was over and back every month, every three or four weeks, to Ford of Europe in the lead up to it because we managed to get 20 million uh, Irish pounds, I think it was at the time, uh, approved by their US board of directors, which is not an easy thing to do, mm. to close the factory. Um, um, and we kept it a secret and we were scheduled to have a meeting with the trade unions uptown. We always went to the Imperial Hotel uh, uh, for meetings on a, maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't know what day of the week it was, at five o'clock. So at three o'clock we made an announcement yeah. that the, the line was stopped and everybody was to assemble in the um, in the canteen and I got up and made the announcement and we we got quite a good applause not because they were all going to lose their livelihood but because we told them first I see mm. every time I hear about her now yeah uh, and of course yeah. The government got after us, the trade unions got after us. The trade unions wanted wanted the kudos of negotiating a big deal from us. And they were cross that we gave the, the whole shebang at the, at, the, at the beginning. We said we're going to have seven weeks pay for every service, every year's service for people up to age 55. And for people after 55, four years service for every year, four years pay, for, four weeks pay for every year of service plus their pension. Okay. The government said we gave too much. They were setting a headline for everything else, which right. was true. And the trade union said that we gave it too early. We should have started low and they'd get the benefit yeah. of the kudos for extracting more from us. I see. But I remember seven weeks pay for every year of service up to the, if you were up to 55. And if you're more than 55, you only got four weeks pay, but your full pension. Yeah. Nobody does it nowadays. I know. You can't, nobody can afford it. How quickly were you, were you actually headhunted or did you apply for your, for your next position? Oh, I was headhunted, yeah, yeah. Down in Waterford? Yeah. By Tony O'Reilly? No, I don't know how that got out. Yeah. Uh, Tony O'Reilly had nothing to do with it. Okay. He had nothing, nothing, no input in the company at the time. Okay. So who, who asked you? The people who took the 20% stake, people called Globe Investment Limited London, 
they took a 20% they the McGraths were in financial trouble and they wanted to un, they had a 20% stake and they wanted they wanted to unload 10% and keep the 10% okay globe investments were powerful people and they had the right attitude and they said to McGraths we'll take the whole lot the 20% or we'll take nothing so McGraths were stymied they had to give up the whole thing Imagine. they thought they'd sell half the thing and and keep the sort of control you know what kind of state was Waterford Crystalline at that booming, time booming yeah. booming did you go in you went in as as MD Ex- there was there was an MD there, does he? I went in as executive chairman. Okay. Didn't, and didn't want they didn't want to rock all the boats. Okay. So I was in replacing McGrath and replacing the poor man who died. Noel Griffin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a whole new change. Was it? Yeah, the the marketing was very similar. The production was quite different. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, your responsibilities, what, what were they? Well, the total thing, yeah. Yeah. What happened when Wedgwood came along? Uh, were you responsible for that uh, uh, merger? Yeah, yeah. One of the things we found out, which nobody really understood, that Waterford was only successful in the countries that spoke English. And then they never knew anything about her in the other countries. Okay. So so Wedgwood was strong in Asia, strong in Japan and strong in other places. So Waterford had a lot of other things hanging out of them, the Smith Group and all sorts of things. So we got rid of all that. Yeah. And we got rid of the borrowings that went with it. So instead of having a, a company that making a very good profit and had a lot of ancillary activities, we got rid of all the ancillary activities and concentrated on glass only and we ended up with no borrowings. So there was pressure from all sides to do something. And we went after Wedgwood because it was worldwide and Waterford was only English-speaking countries. I see. Mm. Did it make a difference? It made a difference that nobody understood and nobody wanted to understand. For example, when the nobody understands currency changes and it's the currency it was the currency change that almost finished Waterford Crystal because suddenly over a six month period the dollar went down against all the European countries. So I I was giving lectures after and I had an illustration. Suddenly a piece of glass that was making a 20% profit every time you sold it 
and most of the product went to the States. Suddenly, over a six-month period, that 20% profit went into a 10% loss. Oh. Only yeah. currencies. And if I was here until tomorrow explaining, nobody is prepared to listen. So I leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what if I was losing for two or three years and uh, Wedge was still making a profit because Wedge was spread all over. The, the, the currency change and the dollar didn't hit that too much yeah. because there were huge sales in Britain and Australia and Japan and all those places. Um, and, and did one keep the other floating? Only, only for a couple of uh, years and then the shit hit the fan with the bad yeah. uh, bad uh, accountancy thing. Yeah. yeah. The shit hit the fan for, for an accountancy thing and I had to resign because we had given profitability figures to the market and they made their investment decisions, all the, all the big investors, based on our figures. And then six months later, we had to say, all the figures were wrong. Okay. And the, the investment people got crazy of course they all lost money as a result and I had to resign what do you do in a situation like that do you stay calm or do you get excited or do you oh I was uh, s- sort of appalled at something that could happen that you would have no suspicion of it happening mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and were you having you weren't having disputes were you at that time no, with, with no, the no. Uh, shop assistants and no, the, no, no, and no. The, the trade unions no 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 okay but what happened after I went and Tony O'Reilly bought a controlling thing yeah um, I was very friendly with him we had him here every Christmas on his way to West Cork so um Tony went after volume. Yeah. And you can't go after volume with a luxury product. Volume, I said to him one day, stop going after the volume. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're putting Waterford Glass into Rocha stores. Waterford Glass should not be in Roach's stores. And he said, maybe you're right, but Ireland is very small compared to the world world um, volume. And I said, it does matter because if you're in, in Roach's stores, I don't know around the world, you can be sure that your people are putting, them in, putting it into ordinary places too. Yeah. And at the same time, he was doing something wrong. But the whole world was changing. And he was wrong 10%. 90% of people said, they don't want any formal dinner parties anymore. Yeah. Serve everybody in the kitchen, have our own place. And nobody wants to buy expensive crystal anymore. Uh, and at the same time, he was hit with a strike in Waterford. 
Um, and it went on for a while and they started to make, as you call it, the laser cutting in Europe and selling it because he had done a study which was quite interesting. He had done a study in America before my time at all because he was interested in it. He'd done a study in America and they found out that an awful lot of people, like what these um, polls, polls that they're doing now on the, on, the, on, on the politics. People polled in America all knew about Waterford but didn't know that it was made in a place called Waterford in Ireland. They just thought, most of the people just thought it was a brand name. So he said we could make it any, any place you like. So they started making it in Europe, and of course the trade unions were in in in, in Waterford were incensed. So they went on strike for a long time, but he held out. So that's after my time anyway. Okay, mm. but, but yes, during uh, those days, um, was there a sense of history in that place? It was there for you know long, long time. And and you had not you as long as Wedgwood. Yeah. Wedgwood, Wedgwood was there two hundred years when we took it over. Yeah, fantastic. Yes, talk me through the logistics yeah. of that. Okay, you were marketing the product, and we owned the brand. We owned. We bought the brand. We bought the factory. We bought everything. Yeah, and we marketed then with Waterford Crystal. But In, they, yes. uh, the tableware and giftware. Yes. Waterford glass, tableware and giftware. But Wedgewood, what about now? Wedgewood, tableware and giftware. Distributed through all the high-end shops all over the world. The same people buying it in the, in the same buyer in Bergdorf Goodman in the United States yeah. bought the Wedgewood and the Waterford. When you were negotiating, were you over and back all the time and... Yeah, but we had powerful people doing the negotiating for us. Who were they? I uh, can't remember them. The one great fellow, anyway. Um, anyway, he brought me to see um, Sir Arthur Bryan one Saturday morning in in his home in, in near Stoke and Trent. But that was the beginning of it. Yeah. And uh, it, it just seemed to you to be... Uh, a good thing to a do. Fit, a fit, a fit, yeah. a fit. Still there. Yeah. But uh, when you, <laughs> uh, when things went wrong for you, oh. uh, you had to pick yourself up again. What, what did you do? Can you recall? Well, I was at a nice age then. I was 58, I think. I didn't do anything really. Yeah. I did a bit of lecturing in UCC. It, you were, again, you were asked on, you were invited onto different boards. Now and again, yeah, now and again, now and again. Which one yeah. of those boards did you find uh, most satisfactory and that you enjoy the most? I suppose, well, Aerling is number one. Number two, um, the Youth Employment Agency, which was which is defunct, yeah. which some government decided that, that they'd set up a youth employment agency to give jobs to... Um, younger people yeah it faded out after a while but i thought that was a great thing yeah just doing something good of course mm -hmm. 
And and so you benefited obviously seeing that. Printures, printures de Rosa. I was only mentioned once in the dial. Printures de Rosa said, "This fellow Hayes is in charge of the youth employment agency, and he's closing down factories." How did you? So I resigned. That? I resigned soon after that. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> How would you describe yourself, Paddy? The reason why I put that to you is because uh, you strike me as a man who who's tough. I mean, to 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 achieve what you did and to to do what you did. But if you're thrown into something, yeah, just like being thrown into a, a river, you either swim. Or go down. Yeah. If I went to Ford and I didn't have that toughness, I would have been gone like the other engineers went. Yeah. They wouldn't put up with it. Petty Hayes, listen, yeah, I took up a lot of your time <laughs> and I appreciate every minute of it. <laughs> I didn't give you a second cup of coffee. No. Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast with Paddy Hayes. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interview. He was a man I really enjoyed meeting and talking to, and his interview is 74 minutes long. So if you'd like to download the full interview, you can do so by visiting our website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and thank you for listening.